Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the book of Matthew. Matthew. We'll take a look at Matthew chapter 1. You thought this morning, surely, pastor only had two points. He'll get done the message this morning, but uh, it didn't happen to work out that way. But I was, if I did, I had something else to preach, and uh, I'll continue to work on that, and maybe we'll preach that to you one day. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her, an exam- uh, make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Fear keeps us from doing a lot of things that we know that we should do. The Bible says here, Fear not. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this is the key verse. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying. That's our key text. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here, and I do pray that you will help us this evening to be able to gain Bible principles and to apply them to our hearts to our lives, and that we would live them out. Father, I pray that I would be pure and clean before you, and that I would be right with you, and that you would give me what I need mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually to be able to preach your word. I thank you for your word, and I pray, dear God, that you would use your word tonight in the hearts and lives of these, your people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want us to, once again, rehearse in our minds the faithfulness of God. As we take a look at this passage, we see that God is a faithful God. I mentioned to you this morning that if God were not faithful to us, we could not be faithful to Him. And for us as Bible-believing Christians... If we are going to grow in our walk with the Lord, it is imperative that we have complete trust in the Word of God. One of the things that I told you this morning that Satan wants to do more than anything else is to destroy your faith in God. He wants to ruin your faith in His Word. 
He wants you to get to que- he wants you to question and doubt the faithfulness of God in your life. And for us as believers, we need to be very very careful and very cognizant of the fact that that is what Satan is after. And we we have to remember that we are in a war zone, that we're in a battle. And that many times the reason people will say Christians will say, "Man, I just want to have peace of heart and peace of mind and they're good things and they're not wrong things to want. But we have to remember that sometimes during wartime, when you're in a war zone, there's very little peace. It's not because God doesn't want to give peace. It's not that God cannot give peace. But the reason for the lack of peace many times in our life is because we are fighting a battle. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Sometimes I wish that was all we were wrestling against. Because all that I would have to do to be able to defeat someone else is to be able to become stronger than they are. To be able to work out a little bit more, be able to have better defenses or have a better attack than they have. You know, one man can beat another man if he he has the right attack. But the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what the Bible says. And what is going on there? It is a battle to be able to destroy our confidence in the character of God. It is to tear down, to tear down in, our, in our own heart and in our mind what we know to be true about God and to replace it with a God of our own making. We need to be careful as believing Christians that we do not allow ourselves to get to the point where we are starting to question the character of God. I told you that the most wicked sin upon the face of the earth, and we're all guilty of this, some more than others, but the most wicked sin is not something most of the time that we would name, that we would call out. We would say uh, maybe homosexuality or lesbianism or adultery or murder or uh, child abuse, and they're all wicked things and, and something that a Christian should not be a part of. But let me tell you, there's one sin that many Christians and, and all of us have come to at one time or another, and we've all partaken in this most wicked of all sins, And that's the sin of unbelief. And what it does is unbelief questions the character of God. And we see here in this portion of Scripture that we can trust God to be faithful to His promises just as He fulfilled His promises in the Old Testament. We can trust Him to fulfill His promises today. We saw that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. We saw that through Jesus' family tree, and we talked a little bit about that this morning. And then we saw it uh, through Jesus' fantastic birth. Who could produce a, uh, the Son of God the way that God did uh, through a virgin without the human ingenuity of a man? No, none other than God can, and God did. And we see that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy in both these ways. But secondly here, I would like you to see, not only does Jesus fulfill Old Testament prophecy, and that way we can count on the character of the faithfulness of our God, but we can see even today that Jesus fulfills his title. Jesus fulfills his title. The Bible says, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, and he's fulfilling his title, that which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, 
shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Turn over to Isaiah 7.14. We looked at it this morning, but I'd like us to look at it again. Which is being interpreted God with us. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. The first thing I want you to see how Jesus uh, fulfills his title is that it was spoken by the Lord. It was spoken by the Lord. It said, which might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. See, what I want you to understand is these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and Jesus fulfilled filling his title was not something that was just made up by men. The Bible tells us that the scriptures were not written just by man on man's whim, but they were moved about by the Holy Ghost and that, uh, that God gave them these words. It was not the prophet who spoke to the people here at this time out of their own thoughts, but it was God himself who spoke to the prophet and then the prophet spoke to the people and said, this is exactly what is going to happen. And may I remind you that it was 750 years before this ever happened that the prophet spoke and said this. That there will be a child that was called Emmanuel. The Bible tells us that God spoke it. You know, when God says something, we can count on it. We can bank on it. We don't have to question it. But what was the basic the basic reason for and the purpose for this Old Testament prophecy, well, it was initially to confront Israel with their sin and call them to repentance. Secondly, it was to see the future restoration of Israel. But then it was to give activity, and this is where we come in. It was to give evidence of the activity of God in the midst of dark times. Old Testament prophecy was to give evidence of the activity of God in dark times. If you study the history of this portion of scripture uh, in Isaiah, you would find that there were dark times at that point. The nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, uh, the, the nation of Israel had split in two. There was the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And there were dark times at, at this point. But prophecy was to let them know that God had not forsaken them, God had not given up on them, that God was still active even in the midst of their disobedience, that God was still fulfilling his plan. We see that Jesus Christ came forth. And what was his name? His name was Emmanuel. Jesus fulfilled his title. I want you to take a look here, if you would please, back in Psalm chapter 27. What is Emmanuel? That God is with us. We need to remember that today, that Jesus still fulfills his title. See, this prophecy was not just for, for Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7. But this prophecy was for us to know in the 21st century that we can trust the very character of God. That we can trust him to be faithful. And it says that his name was Emmanuel. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 27, if you will, please. And take a look at verse 5. 
For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Take a look at verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also on, uh, upon me and answer me. Verse 13, I have fainted unless I have believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What am I telling you? That the same God that was with Mary and Joseph back then, God with us, is the same God that when we find our dark times, when we find our troubling times, that he is still fulfilling his title of God with us. Jesus will never stop fulfilling his title of God with us. Today, he does it through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And the Bible tells us, once again, that he does not leave us nor forsake us. The Bible tells us that there might be times where we might feel forsaken, but that God is with us. What am I telling you this evening? That you can count on the character of God, that he will be faithful to his word. The Bible says the Lord is their strength and he is the saving strength of his anointed. The Bible tells us in Psalm 27.1 in that portion of scripture, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the what strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's when my enemies, when, when the wicked and mine enemies, even my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Why? Because God was with them. See, we can look back at the word of God so many times and we can say, well, yeah, we see God with Mary and Joseph and we, we see God here fulfilling his word. But my friends, let me tell you, God is fulfilling his word with us each and every day. Why? Because he is a God that is with us. But not only do we see here this evening that it was spoken by the Lord, but we see secondly, it, he was sent by the Lord. Turn back to Matthew, if you will, please. Jesus fulfilled his, his title by, that because it was spoken by the Lord and he was sent by the Lord. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Take a look at John chapter 17, if you would please. Turn over there, John chapter 17. So Jesus was sent by God to fulfill his title. And what was that? His title was that he would be the savior of the world. Not only is he God with us, but he is also Savior, that he will save his people from their sins. John 17, 18. The Bible says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I, even so have I also sent them into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. We see here that it was the Father who sent the Son. And it's Jesus who is the fulfillment of this Emmanuel, God with us, and as Jesus is the fulfillment of this title because he was sent into the world by God. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that you and I have God with us. He indwells us. He comforts us. Well, what we need to remember and what we need to continually preach is that there's only one that can save 
somebody from their sin. See, there might be those who might claim to have the title of Savior, but there is only one who has rightful claim upon that title, and that's Jesus Christ. Only one can save from sin. Since he can save from sin, since he has saved us, if you will, from the grave, can he not save us, quote unquote, from the situations that we find ourselves in? Oh, not save us out of them. Many times Jesus doesn't want to save us out of those situations. He wants to save us through them. Why is that? To be able to help fulfill his title. He wants to show us that he is God with us. See, the only way that you're going to be able to know the character of God, that he is a faithful God, is to know that he walks with you through the tough times. You don't know some, listen, you don't know somebody's character when times are good. You don't know somebody's character when times are good. You know someone's character when times are tough. You know, it's always easy to go along with everything when everything is going right. Everything is going your way. Everything, all flags are flying high. Every, you know, we're just enjoying life. But man, when tough times hit, that's when you really get to see, you've heard it said, who your friends are and who aren't your friends. You know, as a pastor, one of the, one of the things that you get to see in, in, even in Christians, is when churches go through, churches go through cycles. Churches have good times, and churches have difficult times. Just like families, right? And with families, it's not always up. Don't you wish it was always up? It's just like your Christian life. Sometimes you've got good times, sometimes you've got difficult times. But as a pastor, and the longer you stay in the church, the more you experience those cycles. See, guys who are there for three years and turn around and leave, which anywhere between three and five years, that's the average stay of a pastor, and then they take off. They only get to go through basically the honeymoon stage, and they start to start to see the downswing. Usually after about year three, the, da- the reality, year two, year three, reality starts to set in, and this guy no longer walks on water until you retire after 43 years and everybody thinks that you walk on water. Mm-mm-mm. I just wish you would live to see the day when I get to walk on water. But men who don't stay long don't get to see those cycles because reality starts to set in and they just decide to take off. But as a pastor of a church, you get to see those cycles. And there are good times and there are bad times. And one of the most encouraging things for a pastor or even for anybody, for that fact of the matter, who is heading up any type of organization. Now, we understand that the church is a living organism. But anybody who is in in, in a, a leadership type position is to see that people stick with you through the difficult times, even when they don't understand even when they may not necessarily always agree with everything, even when they're scratching their head and they're wondering what in the world is going on. Because let me tell you something. If you're scratching your head wondering what's going on, as you can tell, I haven't scratched my head. I've pulled my hair out wondering what's going on. 
(laughs) And that happens, but the point is that you don't ever know somebody's character until you go through the difficult times and they walk with you through it. And sometimes the reason that God does not save us out of our circumstances is because he wants to show us how faithful he is to us in the midst of our circumstances so that that way when we go through another circumstance, we can look back on it and say, God was faithful then and he will be faithful now. That's the point. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I want to be saved out of my circumstances. We just want out. It's natural. You want to know why? Because it's painful. It's difficult. It's hard. It's confusing. It seems non-ending. But what God wants to show us is a whole lot more important than us getting out from underneath where we find ourselves. And since Jesus is the only one who can save people from their sins, and since it is Jesus who could and did live a perfect life, and since it is Jesus who did die and raised from the dead, And since it was Jesus who was sent into the world and he fulfills his title as Savior, you know what he's asking us to do this evening? He's asking us to be sent into the world. See, Jesus did not, as incarnate man, live a life of detachment. He lived a life of involvement. God with us. He lived where he could see human sin. Jesus lived where he could hear human swearing and blasphemy. Jesus lived where he could see human disease and observe human morality and poverty and squalor. His mission was fully incarnational because he taught men by coming alongside of them. God with us, becoming one of us, if you will, sharing their, uh, our environment, sharing in our problems. And this is the point that I want us to understand. For us as individuals and churches, in a very affluent society, this is really a great embarrassment to us for our Christianity How can we effectively minister to a lost world if we're not in it? How can we reach the ignorant and the poor if we're not with them? How can our churches understand deprived areas if the church is not incarnate in the deprived areas? How can we be salt and light in the darkness of the ghettos of our area if we ourselves don't have any effective contacts and relationships with the Nazareths of our day, we're really profoundly unfaithful, unlike our God, to this great principle of incarnational God with us type of mission. The great prophet Jesus Christ came alongside, he came alongside of man. 
and shared their experience at every level. The Bible says that he became flesh and dwelt among us. See, God's been faithful to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. God's been faithful to be able, through Jesus to be able to fulfill Old Testament prophecies and then through Jesus to be able to fulfill his title. And one of his titles is God with us. Another one of his titles is Savior of the world. So just as God has been faithful to fulfill his promise, would we be as faithful to fulfill the mission of being incarnational Christians that we would be with others so that they can come to know the gospel of Christ. See, it's one thing to talk about the faithfulness of God, but it's a whole other thing to be able to live it out on a day-to-day basis. And one of the ways that we live out the faithfulness of God in our life is by sharing his faithfulness with others. He was faithful. He said that he would send a savior. And he faithfully did that. But he did not send a savior just so a certain few could know him. He wasn't trying to just be faithful to a certain group of people. But he sent a savior so that all the world could know that there is a faithful God in heaven who fulfills his word. Because folks, just as he fulfilled his word to send a savior into the world as a meek lamb, he is going to fulfill his word to send the lion of the tribe of Judah back to rule with an iron fist. And if people don't know about the faithfulness of God in the past to fulfill his word, to send a savior, they're never gonna know about the faithfulness of God to his word to be able to say, I never knew you. You didn't accept me? I'm sorry. There's no room for you in my kingdom. See, if God's faithful to send a savior, he's also going to be faithful. What am am I saying? He's also going to be faithful to send judgment. That's why we need to be incarnational Christians. If Jesus was willing to leave heaven, would you be willing to leave your living room? If Jesus was willing to be able to leave the glories and the praise of of the, the angels, would you be willing to leave the comfort of your home to go across the street to share the gospel with somebody so that they can know the character of a faithful God? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We can trust God because He's faithful. His character is faithful. You say, Pastor, what are you asking us to do? Well, first, to be able to trust God and take Him in His Word. 
but then to be able to share the faithfulness of God with those around you.